Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. And turn in your Bible to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. So today, I want to call the sermon today, um, Reflecting and Renewing. Reflect and Renew. Reflect and Renew. So we've already read our scripture today. And here's what I, I want to kind of get across. We're ending a year and we're starting a new year. Now, question, look at me right here. As you're turning in your Bibles... How many of you already, already have a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand. I, I'm raising my hand out of sympathy. I don't, I don't do that. But, uh, uh, but how many of you have New Year's resolutions? You got one? Okay, like four of you. The rest of us are just way behind, okay? Um, now, as we think about New Year's, we often come to the New Year's with plans and goals and resolutions. Uh, but I, I think if we just come to the New Year with plans and goals and resolutions... Um, without reflecting on the year in past, we've missed the mark. And so today is going to be maybe a little different. Uh, today, we're going to uh, really work hard at reflecting. Reflecting on what God has done, on who God is, and on how God has revealed Himself to us this past year. And we're going to follow the, the psalmist's uh, direction in this psalm, in Psalm 92, of how we should reflect, what we should reflect on, and how that should impact our future. Okay, so reflecting and renewing. Now, when I think of the word reflecting, I think of the idea of a reflection across a body of water. How many of you have ever seen that? You've been somewhere, and it was at that moment that you saw in the water uh, either the sky perfectly laid out, and you could barely tell where the sky stopped and the water started. Isn't that an incredible view? Or an inverted mountain in a lake. You saw the mountain here, and you saw the lake down here, and man, you just sat there and you were blown away. Maybe you've seen moments like that, and you know, truly, don't we want our lives to be a reflection of the life of Christ? We want our lives to be a reflection of, of God, His character, the way that He has revealed Himself to us. We want our lives to reflect Him, um, and, and today, as we talk about the idea of us reflecting on this past year, for us to reflect, just like for water to reflect, We've got to be still. Wavy ponds don't reflect well, do they? And so we're going to have to discipline ourselves a little bit this morning. Because this is, this is not just going to be a sermon where I say a bunch of stuff to you, but I'm actually going to ask you questions and give you a moment to pause and reflect. 
And so that means some of you out there today are, are thinking to yourself, what does this week hold? What do I need to go to the grocery store and get later? What are we having for lunch? You need to go ahead and knock that off, okay? In Jesus' name, and you just need to be still. You need to quiet the waters of your heart for just a few minutes so that you can reflect. Still, calm, settled waters reflect, and that's what we want to do today And so, let's do that. So let's look at what the psalmist teaches us. Okay? So let's look at the Bible. Psalm 92, verse 1. The first thing that I want you to see is that the psalmist reflects on God's goodness. He reflects on God's goodness. That's why we have sung the songs that we have sung this morning about the goodness of God, about the faithfulness of God, that, that we want Him to receive all glory, uh, that, that we've sing, sang these things because that's what the psalmist reflects on. Okay, he reflects on the goodness of God. Look at verse 1. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Verse 2, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Did you see all of the things that he begins to reflect on? We see uh, the, the, the name of God, his steadfast love, his faithfulness. And we're going to sit for a moment and reflect on those. When you think about the name of somebody or the name of God, we have to understand that when we think about the name of God, verse 1, it's good to sing praises to your name. Why in the world does he put it that way? Why doesn't he just say it's good to sing praises to you? Because when we think about, in the Old Testament, you think about some person, let's use Jacob for instance. Jacob's name means deceiver or heel grabber. And what kind of character did Jacob start his life with? Positive character or did he live up to the name that he was given? He lived up to the name. Because the name of a person reflects more than just a nice title. Now, many of you, maybe like Liz and I, we, when we chose names, we didn't choose names because they had meaning. We just thought to ourselves, that's a really nice name. That's a really nice name. And so maybe you chose a name for your child that way, but when we think about the name of God, it is a reflection of who He is. The name of God is the sum of His character, the sum of His attributes, the sum of the qualities that make God who He is. And the psalmist says, it's good to sing praises to your name, to think about and reflect on your name. Then he goes into verse 2, to declare your steadfast love in the morning. This word here is the word, the Hebrew word, hesed. Hesed, it is the steadfast love, the covenant love between God and His people. This kind of love is undeserved and unconditional. Stop for a second. Can I just say, isn't it good? Isn't it good that God's love for His people is undeserved and unconditional? Isn't it good? I saw somebody put a post on Facebook just yesterday that said it like this. If you could have lost your salvation, you would have already. Because God's love is unconditional and undeserved. 
It's good. It's good news. That's this idea, this chesed here, his covenant love. This love is not dependent on the actions uh, or nature of the recipient, but on the actions and the natures of uh, the nature of the giver. This this love is the kind of love that marriages are modeled after. Yesterday, we celebrated a wedding right in here. And it was a joyous occasion. A great day where we celebrated Tony and Phyllis tying the knot right here. And they now have the opportunity to follow the example of this unconditional, undeserved covenant love with one another. This is the kind of love that 1 Corinthians 13 is based on. Love is patient, love is kind, etc. This is the model for 1 Corinthians 13. It's God. And so these, the psalmist says, it's good to give praise to your name, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. What does it mean that God's faithful? It means that God is a keeper of His promises. Isn't that good? It's good that when God makes a promise, He always fulfills it. He is a fulfiller of His name. Everything that His name declares that He is, He does. God has never, for a single solitary second, not fulfilled all of His character, His qualities, or His attributes. God always does as God always is. He is faithful. And again, His faithfulness is not dependent on you or me. Isn't that good news? It's good. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it says it this way. That if we are faithless, He remains faithful. Why? For He cannot deny Himself. And He is a faithful God. He is faithful. So here's what I want to ask you for a second. Okay, when we think about the name of God, the steadfast love of God, the faithfulness of God, I want to put up four questions for you to think through really quickly. These reflection questions. And I'm going to give you a moment. Right here, right now. And maybe you could take a picture of the screen, or maybe I'll put them up on the church's Facebook later. Um, but I want you to reflect on these questions. How has God been good to you this year? In what ways have you seen God's character revealed to you this year? This year, how have you experienced God's steadfast love? This year. In 2023, how's God been faithful to you? We so quickly run to the plans for 2024. It's easy to plan ahead. It is hard to stop and think about God's goodness, His steadfast love, the character of God that He has revealed to us, and His faithfulness. And gosh, we have to be a people who think deeply about how good God is. How's he been good? Have you seen his love or experienced his love this year? Have you seen his character? How's he been faithful? Now, every one of us, 
our number one answer should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I mean by that. Um, that Jesus Christ uh, came into this world that, that God himself took on flesh. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that he took on flesh to come and live in this world a sinless life and on the cross die a substitutionary sinner's death. That means that your sin was so heinous that it deserved a punishment so great that you couldn't pay the debt on the note to be collected. So God left heaven to come and pay your debt by dying on a cross, shedding His perfect blood in your stead. And that is the gospel. And on the third day, He rose from the dead, defeating sin and death and the grave, defeating the powers of sin and hell for you. Now, that should be our number one answer to all of those questions. But if salvation is the only thing that you can reflect on, then you today might have a problem. Now, it should, again, it should be our number one answer, and it, it should supersede every other answer. There is no other answer greater than what Jesus did for you and for me so that we wouldn't have to go spend an eternity under the wrath of God. There's nothing more important than that. But if you can't think of another thing in your life that would be an example of God's goodness, faithfulness, love, then we got an issue. We've got issues. It, it, it means that either you're stuck and stagnant, you're stuck in a rut. Have you ever been stuck in a rut before? Or it means you're selfish and short-sighted. Because the only thing that you can think about is right here, right now. Or what is to come and what I need God to do for me soon. And you, you don't take time to think about God's goodness because you're focused on my needs right now. Or it could mean that you're lost. You're not saved. Now, church family, the psalmist reflects on God's goodness. And it would do our hearts a lot of good. It is for our good to sit back, to think deeply about all that God has done for us in 2023. But the psalmist also recognizes the world's evil. He recognizes the world's evil. Okay, I want you to follow along with me in verse 6. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. What can they not understand? That though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers flourish, they're doomed to destruction forever. Okay, so what the, the psalmist recognizes is that although God is good, evil is present. Now, let's, let's just work this out for a moment. So, for many of us, or many in our world, those two are contradictory things. That if God is all good and all powerful, then why does evil exist? Have you ever heard somebody ask that question? And so they believe, this person might believe, and maybe you're this person today, 
you believe that if God's all good and all powerful, then evil shouldn't exist. And if evil does exist, then that denies the existence of an all good, all powerful God. But I want you to know that when we read the scriptures, the scriptures don't hold these two things as contradictory in nature. But these two two things, two big ideas, can exist simultaneously. That God can be and is all good and all powerful, yet evil still does exist in the world. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. In the scripture, when we read the scripture, and if we're just honest enough, we know that God exists, but we also can realize and recognize that evil does too. Now, evil happens for two reasons. Two reasons. You ready? It's really easy. Fallen nature and fallen man. That's why evil happens. We know that it all stemmed in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, broke His covenant commandment in the garden, and from that moment on, the curse of the fall escalated to all humanity. And if you were in Genesis this morning in Sunday school, that's exactly what you saw, is sin, the sin sickness spread like wildfire. But all Evil exists for two reasons. Fallen nature or fallen humans. Fallen nature, fallen humanity. What I mean by that is fallen nature. Tornadoes, natural disasters, sickness, cancer. Your knees don't work properly. I got up from the steps this, just, just this morning and I kind of had to gimp back to my guitar over here. They hurt at times. I was telling Liz the other day, something's wrong with my shoulder. I hit 40 and I, I slept wrong. What'd you do? I slept. Fell apart while I was sleeping. I don't know. Why does that happen? Because nature is fallen. Did you know that when, when sin entered the world, it didn't just affect humanity. It affected all of creation. All of God's good design was broken at that moment. And that's why when Jesus comes, he comes to reset nature and to make all things new. And when Jesus comes again, that's exactly what he's going to do. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. He will reinstate God's creation order perfectly. Won't that be good? There will be no knee replacements or hip replacements in heaven. Praise the Lord. There won't be any tornadoes or natural disasters or floods. And then there's fallen man. Divorce, feuds, fighting, infidelity, church splits, lying, murder, hatred... The list goes on. All evil comes from those two sources, fallen nature or fallen humanity. And this psalm talks about mainly about evildoers, and this is what he calls them. He calls them wicked, verse 7. In verse 7, he calls them evildoers. Verse 9, he calls them enemies. And all the way down in verse 11, he calls them evil assailants. Now listen, 
if we're going to reflect on God's goodness, we, we also have to reflect on the difficulty that we've experienced in life because of the curse of sin. We have to, have to look through our difficulties that we're currently experiencing or have experienced this year to see God's goodness really clearly. You can't look past or around the difficulties that God has allowed in your life this season. Are you with me, church? You can't. So the question is, what difficulties have you gone through this year? Deaths, diagnoses, divorce. What difficulties, what troubles, what tribulations have you gone through this year? What part of your body is not functioning like you would like it to? Your finances, your family, relationships. What difficulties? Because the psalmist does not look at the difficulties and his enemies and though they might surround him and come against him and say, God, where are you? What are you doing? You can't exist. He sees the goodness of God and he sees the difficulties because of evil in the world. And he still says it's good for us to give praise. We've got to reflect on God's goodness and we've got to recognize that there's evil in the world. But the the next thing is we've also got to remember that God will we've got to remember God's justice. We've got to remember God's justice. I want you to look at verse 9 and then 10 and 11. Actually, grab your Bible and go to verse 7, the end of verse 7. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. Verse 9. Behold your enemies, O Lord, behold your enemies shall perish, all evildoers shall be scattered. Verse 10, but you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox, you have poured over me fresh oil. That reminds me of the psalm that Christopher read in Psalm 23, you've anointed my head with oil in the presence of my enemies. Verse 11, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Okay, so we've seen God's goodness. We've got to reflect on it. We've seen the evil in the world. Now we've got to remember that God will be just or God is just. Here's what I mean by that. The scripture throughout from beginning to end reminds us of the justice of God. That God is judge. And that God has never done anything unrighteous. And we hear about that later on down in verse 15. There is no unrighteousness in Him. And and in this idea of the justice of God, every wrong in this world will one day be made right. Every one of them. Every one of them. Every evil deed will be accounted for and judgment will be made. Every sin will be punished one day. And maybe today you feel the effects of fallen nature, fallen humanity. Maybe someone that you love is sick. Relationships are broken. You've been wronged. 
something has been stolen from you and what you really desire in this moment is you want justice. Can I just be honest? If I'm you and you're me today, if that's us, you want justice, but you want it now. And that's a predicament for us humans. Because we only have a short life and we want justice probably yesterday. Yesterday would have been better. But God's kingdom isn't so, is it? Do you remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? He gives the Beatitudes. And He says things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. To which none of us would say, yes, bless, bless me that way. Right? Then he, he goes on. The mourning. Blessed are those who mourn or weep. And none of us would say, please sign me up for another dose of weeping. Blessed are the hungry. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yes, please, Lord, I want that. Blessed are the persecuted. Luke says it this way, blessed are the poor now. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger now. Blessed are those who are persecuted now. Why? For theirs is the kingdom. For they shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. Theirs is the kingdom. When? Now and not yet. See, the difficulty of justice in this world is that justice doesn't promise to come now. It might come now. It might come partially now. But in God's kingdom, it will come. There will be a day. And that's the tension that we live in. That God will have the last word. But the win may not come in our lifetime. I spent Christmas Eve at the Clayton, Georgia Hospital. No, Christmas Day. Christmas Day at the Clayton, Georgia Hospital. My stepmother woke up Christmas morning not feeling very well and ended up at the hospital. And upon arriving at the hospital, uh, she had a heart attack. And so she was diagnosed with pneumonia. Her kidney function was low. And her heart was failing. My dad called and said, hey, you need to come and say your goodbye because we're not sure if she's going to make it through the night. And I prayed the whole way there. Healer, I know you can. Fallen nature. Her body is broken down. But the reality of her living another 20 years are slim. But I recognize with all of my heart that one day she'll be healed. But God doesn't promise to heal every sickness here. To mend every relationship here. To 
finish every battle here. To have the last word here. To met out justice perfectly here. Does he? And that's difficult. And that requires an extra measure of faith on behalf of God's people. That we would look at what we're going through and go, One day, God, I know you're going to be victorious over this. One day, it might not be today, it might not be in my lifetime, but one day I know you're going to be victorious. And I know that in heaven there's not going to be any tears, and there's not going to be any sickness, and there's not going to be any pain or sorrow. One day. But this is the tension that we live in. And the question for us, or the questions for us, they're on the screen Can I trust God enough to wait on His vengeance toward my enemies? Or am I ready to do it right now? Those who've wronged me, am I willing for God to save my enemies? Look at the next one. Are you willing to sit across the table in heaven with those who have wronged you? That's how heaven works. Think about it. Paul entered heaven to the cheers of the Christians that he killed. See, we've got to reflect on the goodness of God. We've got to recognize that the world is still evil, but we've also got to remember that God's just. Can I wait for God's justice? Can I wait for sickness to be healed one day? Or am I getting angry at Him because of whatever this thing is in my life that's constantly eating at me? And the last thing that the psalmist does is he renews his devotion. He renews his devotion. Look at verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Verse 13, they're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They're ever full of sap and green. Now that's a compliment there. Doesn't sound very complimentary. You're just full of sap. Don't use that, okay? It's a compliment in this scripture. They're ever full of sap and green. Now, he renewed, maybe, maybe I'm taking this just an inch too far, but what I see is that because of all of these things, there is the person here, this righteous person, who, look at these words, flourishes like a palm tree, grows like a cedar, planted in the house of the Lord. They still bear fruit, and they're ever full of sap and green. Here's my question. Do you want those things to be true of you? I want to flourish. He uses the word flourish twice in this passage. I want to flourish. I want to grow. I want to be planted in the house of the Lord. I want to still bear fruit. 
in old age. And I want to be ever full of sap and green. Now for all of you professional tree experts out there, I had to look up what sap does. Okay? Here's the only reason that I kind of had a hint of what sap does. Have you ever... Uh, we have um, scuppernins and, and uh, muscadines at our house. And if you cut them too early or too late, the sap will run out. In the next season, you won't have much of a crop. I know from experience. And the sap contains the nutrients and the minerals that the plant needs for the next blooming season. It, it runs through the trees, down to the branches, helps generate energy while new buds are forming during springtime. There are seasons in our life. There are seasons of growth. There are seasons of fruit. There are also seasons of what feels like barrenness. Have you ever had one of those? The ever full of sap means that even though there might not be leaves or fruit on the branches, that the energy or the working, wonder-working power of God is still happening under the surface. There's something happening that you can't see that's preparing you for the bl blossoming, blooming season that you might bear fruit in old age. I want that. Do you want that? I know God wants that for us. I want that for you as an individual. I want that for us as a church. And maybe you're sitting out there and you're just like, I don't really care. You should want this. You, you should desperately want this. So, just a reflection question for you. Are you currently flourishing? Are you currently growing? Are you currently planted in the house of the Lord? Are you bearing fruit in old age? Some of us, we think we, in our Christian lives, we come to a, a place in our life where we've hit retirement as a Christian. And there is no such uh, 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 idea in the Bible of this idea that, 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 that I bore fruit and I did all these things then when I was young and now I can just sit back and, and warm a pew. That's not an idea of the Scriptures. It says bearing fruit in your old age. Ever full of sap and green. Ever. You, you become finer with age if you'll let God work in you. The wisdom that you have and the experience that you have, we need it desperately. God's not done with you yet. If He was, He'd take you home. So, so what's it look like to flourish? Here we go, up on the screen. You should see just a few things. You're, number one, you're planted by living waters. Planted by living waters. And, and, and what I mean by that is that you are saved. Okay, uh, Psalm 1 talks about being planted by the, the flowing streams. That the righteous are. And, and, and the idea is that you are planted by the living waters, that you are saved by grace through faith, and the grace of God is continually refreshing you in your life day by day. These, this living water is current, or constantly nourishing the root. Constantly. The grace of God is constantly meeting your every need. 
Are you planted by living waters? Second, are you abiding in the vine? John chapter 15 uses the word abide 11 times in the first 13 verses, I think it is, or 15 verses. It's a lot. He talks about abide, abide, abide. And the word abide means to remain. And the the idea in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The idea is if you will abide in Christ, the nourishment, the the sap of Jesus will flow through his uh, vine to your branches. And I promise you, if you will abide in Christ, you will bear fruit in your old age. You'll ever be full of sap and green. And you will flourish in whatever season, no matter how difficult life is. Third, you're nourished by the Word. Many of you uh, have never seen me with another Bible other than this one. I've, I've had this Bible since two, 2017. October 2017 is when I started this Bible. And um, it is chewed up and I've read through it every year since and, and some more and um, it's fallen apart, and it currently has duct tape in the back of it because the spine was coming undone, and, and I had to get a new cover for it because the cover was just a hot mess, and, and, and here's the idea. Um, the idea is, is simply that if, if you will dedicate, renew your devotion to the Word of God, I promise you that the Word of God will never uh, return void. It will always accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. It will, if you will devote yourself to a a regular, consistent, daily reading of the Word, if you will ask the Spirit of God to speak to you through His Word, this this Word, this Bible, is not a book written by men, inspired by men. No, it is written by men, inspired by God. As you and I would use a pen to write a letter to someone. Who wrote it? Did the pen write it? Yes. But whose heart did it come from? Yours. And in the same way God wrote with human hands His own heart on pages for you and me to feast on day in and day out. And when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he quoted Deuteronomy, I think chapter 8, and he said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Maybe you say, I've never read the Bible before. There's Tomorrow we start a new year. It's a good time to start. We've got Bible reading plans right out front on the Welcome Center for you. And we'd love for you to read the Bible through with us. Be nourished by the Word. And last, abiding and obeying. Now, a lot of people, we know so much about the Bible. And I I think Jesus says something along the lines of, to whom much is given, much is required. And when He gives us much information and understanding, much is required of us. And what that much that's required of us is, is not just knowledge, 
God's not pleased with knowledge. The demons have knowledge, but disciples obey. We have knowledge. We, we Christians, Seneca Baptist Church, there is a wealth of great Bible teaching around here. We've got some amazing Sunday school teachers. Amen? Amazing Sunday school teachers. You go to any Sunday school class and you will be spiritually nourished. But we'd all be better off if we knew less and obeyed more. We're a little dumber, a little bit more obedient. What could God do with us? See, Jesus goes on in John chapter 15 and says, if, if you love me, you will abide with me. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We will never flourish and grow and be planted. We will never bear fruit and be ever full of sap if we're not also obedient to what we, we know. And that's where the rubber meets the road for many of us. So today, we're going to end a little differently. A little differently. There, there are some of you in this room that, Miss Margaret, would you come and just kind of lead us in a time of playing? There are some of you in this room, you need prayer. you got stuff going on in your life. And, and, and I'm going to ask you today to do something a little different. And that's like a, a cuss word to a Baptist, isn't it? Different. Blasphemy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, I'm going to ask you to find somebody, maybe a group of people, to say, how can I pray for you today? Right here. Right around you. You might actually have to get up and exert some effort in this. It's hard. How can I pray for you? Here's how you can pray for me. Here's how God's been good to me. Here's the difficulty that I'm going through. Would you pray for this in my life? And what's yours? And I'll pray for you. Tell me your name and I'll add you to my prayer list. And can I have your phone number? We're going to pray for one another. And if you would like to come up, Jackson... It's going to be down here. Mr. Steve, I'm going to ask if you'd make yourself available. Pastor Ken, if you'd make yourself available. That these men of God, these pastors in, in our church would love to pray with you. Maybe you'd like to meet Jesus today. Maybe you'd like to join the church or have more information about that. You, you just move. But let's pray with one another. Find a group, grab a, a, another person or two, and just say, what can I pray for you about? Go.